Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama, and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. The Music of America podcast continues today. One of my all-time favorite bands and one of the bands that really motivated me to do this show. You guys didn't know that, but you just found that out. The band is called the Soggy Poe Boys, and they're from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We're going to talk to the three of the members of the band after we talk about Jazz Generation. Founded in 1999, Jazz Generation is a jazz education and performance initiative that creates playing opportunities for children and adults in New York through three different programs, the JDP, the JYSO, and KU, which is keyed up. And that's what I really like to talk about. So uh, this jazz discovery program introduces New York City grade schoolers from all backgrounds, both public and private schools, from diverse neighborhoods throughout New York City to live jazz performances, often for the first time. The Jazz Standard Youth Orchestra is a performance-driven program that gives talented and dedicated young jazz musicians an opportunity to perform every Sunday, often with a guest artist from the New York Jazz Circuit. Keyed up, like I said, it's the one I like to talk about the most because it's their most recent program, started about 10 years ago by rescuing uh, pianos destined for the dumpster. And they grab these pianos, fix them up, and they'll place them like in a bookstore or a mom-and-pop pizza shop or whatever. And then they have entertainers come in. They ask the venue to chip in what they can to pay for the entertainers and what they can't cover. Then the Jazz Federation or Jazz Generation keyed up kicks in the difference. So say the Soggy Pooh Boys wanted to play there. And it's uh, the Music of America Pizza Den, you know. <laughs> and we can like pony up about 100 bucks. and You guys need a lot more than that to play there. Well, that's where Jazz Generation and Keyed Up comes in. They kick in the difference. That way you've got good musicians at a venue, and we're showcasing jazz. And it just everybody wins across the board on that. So it's it's a really cool program. It's called Jazz Generation. Check them out on the website. Well, it's at jazzgeneration.org. And I think they have a website or a, a Facebook page as well. But Jazz Generation is where you want to get in touch with them. They need support because they're doing a really cool thing and Anything you can contribute would be very helpful. And I wanted to do that plug because jazz and soggy pool boys are kind of cousins, would you say? I, you know, I, I would say that we were descendants of it for sure. Yeah. How would you? I mean, the way that I would qualify that is I don't think we're cousins because, in a sense, we play the earliest version of jazz you know like we yeah. play jazz it's sort of as though we play the like the progenitor of jazz would that be ragtime dixieland well so those things sort of came before jazz per se but all of those things kind of fused together ragtime barrel house dixieland kind of fused together blues you know that all comes together and that is what makes the jazz that we play gotcha i guess we should introduce everybody first that was Stu. Stu, why don't you introduce yourself and then introduce eric and mike uh i'm Stu Diaz. i play guitar and i sing in the soggy pro voice um, i truly just have a huge respect and love of new orleans jazz and early jazz music okay eric 
How's it going? Uh, Eric Claxton here. I play clarinet and soprano saxophone in the Soggy Po Boys. Uh, I'm a music educator and arts administrator. Um, and yeah, like Stu, uh, I have like a pretty deep passion for the music from New Orleans. Um, the kind of insight it's offered uh, about basically the art of uh, for like the art of jazz and, and music and American music uh, has been super rewarding and uh, yeah it's been an awesome journey digging into this music and, and really getting to know more about all of the music that came afterwards because of it. Mm. Mike? Hey it's Mike Effenberger, keyboard player and the Soggy Poe Boys. Also a big fan of New Orleans music. If you look it's a competition now I can't think of how to one-up either of those. But we all really <laughs> like it. <laughs> yes, you do. How did you all get together? Who wants to address that one first? I guess I will. Um, this is a story that we get asked about all the time. And yeah. all of us hate it. <laughs> um, basically, there was a Mardi Gras show that was sort of meant to be like a pickup gig, you know? And it was a very different sort of iteration of the band. Mike was playing B3 organ. Um, it was B3 organ, drums, I was playing guitar, um, the current uh, tenor sax player in the band, Nick Mello, was there, and our former trumpet player, Zach, was there, and, you know, we played what we thought was the length of the show, and then moved the B3 organ out of the venue, which is very, 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 very heavy. Mm. Um, after we had done that, the owner of the venue said hey you got to play one more hour and we all sort of looked at each other and said we're not moving that goddamn okay. thing back <laughs> and so we sat around the piano and instead of playing sort of new orleans funk we played more sort of traditional new orleans jazz sitting around the piano and it was this incredible experience because everyone in the audience who was sitting there sort of became at that moment part of the band and was participating in this thing that we knew we were all sort of creating together and you know a bunch of us just sort of looked at each other after that and said that was a great experience yeah. we should see if we can do that again and that's kind of how we got started i mean that's probably an oversimplified way of stating it. I, I would throw it out because Eric was there. Mike was there. Obviously, Mike was part of it. Like, I would throw it out to them to add a little bit more color to the description, <laughs> I guess. Mike, it sounds magical, man. It was it was a good time. Yeah, and that sounds about right. We didn't want to carry the B3, and so we became this band instead. I don't think we ever played another Meters tune again either. We might have hit, like, Chicken Strut once or twice over the years, but that's about it. Um, and that's always I guess they talk to do. It. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was wonderful. Um, you know, hanging out in that space, um, it was kind of like a really communal space to begin with. It was like pretty much uh, our favorite bar to be at. They supported music in all the right ways. They supported community in a lot of great ways. And so it was the kind of place where a lot of people would bring their horn if they were a musician. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, as, as, as the music shifted to the uh, acoustic piano and, um, yeah, just it, everyone who had a horn was invited to take it out. 
and as we started looking for and kind of collecting uh, tunes that people would know or could know in an instant um, that were also related to New Orleans, we we found like a whole you know a whole sound and and, and a vibe, and it was all it was in there from the beginning, and I think we've just been refining it since. Have you written any of your own stuff? Quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, I think it took us maybe three records before we played any non-original music. Oh. Um, so the first couple records are primarily uh, our contributions. Um, and then as we, I think, again, as we started to refine what we were up to, we felt like we could maybe um, appropriately process and pay homage to some of the actual canon. Um, mm -hmm. And then we've, you know, one of the records, I guess it was all in favor was predominantly, if not exclusively, uh, New Orleans repertoire. And now, uh, yeah, moving, moving two records, or looking at the future, the record that we're about to cut and release next year is going to be, um, you know, a nice mix again of original music and uh, New Orleans standards. Is there any? Yes, too. And one thing that I would say is, you know, a tune that we'll listen to later in the show, so simple, is actually an original tune that was written by Eric, uh, and I added some lyrics um, to the tune. And it, I think to put a finer point on it, something that I would like to say is like, we fell in love with this music because we loved the music, not because we were trying to capitalize on a sort of incoming fad or anything like mm -hmm. we truly love music and so all of our original stuff like there have been so many originals that have just been tossed by the wayside because it didn't feel like they appropriately encompassed what we were trying to execute and so our original songs were really trying to pay homage to the tradition and that tune for example that that eric wrote um Something that gets lost, I think, a little bit in the conversation about what New Orleans is, is the influence of uh, the music of the Caribbean. Right. And that really encapsulates that. Like, it's the begin feel, the way that the horns are structured, the way that the vocals work, even the way that the rhythm section works. It, it hits a part of New Orleans music that I think is often ignored a little bit. I just learned that actually this year too about the Caribbean influence, how how important that is to that that whole New Orleans sound. It was a, uh, it was Jim Lockwood, uh, one of the gentlemen that we met and have had on the show. In fact, he might have been my first interview on the show. I'm not sure, but uh, we got to see him when we were down there just a couple of weeks ago. And we got talking about the music and what makes it so unique. And that was one of the things he mentioned was the the Caribbean influence and. The, the the creole influence i guess and they all kind of came together it's like this met jazz and this met jazz and they all came together and you've got this really cool sound so you call it new orleans music right we, we specifically call it new orleans music we've actually been very hesitant to call it anything else because new orleans music encapsulates so many things yeah right like this is something that i stay, say on stage all the time it's not just jazz, it's blues, it's gospel, 
It's music from the Caribbean, it's soul, it's funk. It's a little bit of everything. And that's why we sort of hesitate to call it anything besides New Orleans music, because that's the widest net we can cast because it's so many different things. Yeah. And, and to hear you guys, that absolutely is well-defined. I mean, because you're, you're not of this band, you're not of this band. You're going to hear all the flavors. It's like, it's like gumbo, you know, <laughs> or jambalaya. <laughs> you get all the flavors of New Orleans with the presentation of your music because you'll have this in this certain song or this style in this song. It's amazing. Maybe that's that's what's really got me hooked, too. It's that whole New Orleans connection. You know, it's my soul belongs there, I think. So uh, I, mean, can- I, I, I think that's a fair point. And like a big part of that is like, recently sorry i hope this diatribe doesn't derail us too much but recently we did a show about the life of jelly roll morton and a key part of that show was how many different things were synthesized into one music jelly roll morton took a bunch of different genres and took the bits of it that he liked and kind of combined it into this new type of music and the way that he combined those disparate elements is different from the way that Louis Armstrong combined them mm-hmm. it's different from the way that Sidney Bechet combined them and so you get all of these different sort of flavors of New Orleans music. Mike, Eric, anything to add to that? That's pretty complete yeah I mean that, yeah. that hits a lot of bullet points for me I mean the only thing I'd say too that is like part of the reason that the Caribbean influence is so important is that it reflects the West African influence due to the way that the translated slave trade worked out yeah um, yeah so yeah I mean you, you couldn't have had what Caribbean music means to us now with without that um, and so yeah honoring that side of things and making sure that that is presented and uh, that its roots are made clear is important to us too I had a guest on from I, I want to say, I can't remember. So somewhere in West Africa, his father was a drummer in West Africa. So he grew up learning how to play African drums. And that's all he does now. Amazing how that globally music is, how this sound made its way to the Caribbean, made its way into the States. And now this guy presents it all over the country. And and, and people are lined up to see it, to, to hear. It's not just hitting drums. He's playing hand uh, percussion. He's doing djembe, and it's mainly djembe, but it's other other instruments like that, and and it's all that West African influence that get brought into the United States. Stu, I'm I'm so sorry because I feel like again, like I'm taking us on another tangent, but I do think that this one point is really important, and it is that the Haitian Revolution in the late 1800s was a huge part of why New Orleans music sounds the way that it does. So during the Haitian Revolution, that was the first time that colonized people overthrew the colonizers, and those colonizers were the French. New Orleans at that point was a French colony, and they saw that needing a pressure valve release Mm -hmm. was key to not having an uprising. So what they allowed to happen was on Sundays, they allowed slaves the day off and they allowed them to congregate and to have markets and to do their dances and to play their music. And those slaves congregated in 
Congo Square, which is now in Louis Armstrong Park, which mm. is on Basin Street. And to add a little bit more context, do you know the song The Basin Street Blues? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. So the, the lyrics to the Basin Street Blues go, Basin Street, Basin Street, where the fine folks, they all meet. Now, Basin Street is a street that, that uh, divides the French Quarter from the Treme. Okay. And so that was the time that people who were slaves met people with means. So now you had people who had never experienced those African rhythms and you have people who play those African rhythms that had never held a European horn in their life. Meet. Mm -hmm. That's where those elements of the music come together. And that's where New Orleans music comes from. It's from those rhythms. Wow. That European horn tradition for the first time. Fascinating. I just, just listened to a song maybe two weeks ago and it's it's in my rotation now it's the trame song he sings about uh congo congo lane congo street congo square congo square okay yeah there's a line in there about congo square and he, he sings about uh buck jumping i didn't know what that was so i had to look that up and it's like so cool this is just all so cool how it all comes together man i don't yeah, know how to... that thing that i try to tease apart all the time because we think of music and dancing as, a, as two separate things. But in New Orleans, they don't think of them as totally separate things. Right. They think right. of them as related things. I love this. We, we could do a, do a show just on <laughs> the, the, the cultural aspect of New Orleans music, man. It's fascinating. I know. I know, I know I've taken us down the rabbit hole. That's all right. I like it. I it's a good rabbit hole to be in, man. I do think the context matters, right? Because, like, I think we often hear that New Orleans is the melting pot that so many different interesting things came out of, yeah. but we don't actually understand why that is. And to me, Congo Square, with the historical context of the Haitian Revolution, mm -hmm. allows these different people who would never have interacted with each other to interact with each other and trade ideas and trade rhythms and trade musical ideas. Right. And that's where a lot of the things that we really love come from. That is so cool because it, it makes so many other things come together culturally too. Cooking, dance, you know, the Absolutely. art, everything, it all comes together now. It makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to segue that into the first <laughs> song we're going to play which is kiss of fire so i guess we can start with who started that song who came with what to come up with kiss of fire that's a cover yeah that one's not ours i mean the arrangement's us but the actual tune goes back Stu, do you remember whose it is it's uh I, i'll have a name for you in a second i think so, it's like 1942 that sound it's the right era yeah yeah, I mean, so that tune, people play it different ways. It shows up as sort of like a dirge or as like a moderately uh, like drag type of swing. Uh -huh. um, but it also show up as, shows up as a tango, and we sort of touch on various elements of that. And if you're looking for a segue, that tango is, is one of those. Like, that's a, a blend of those influences. That's really good, too. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I think actually <laughs> the original source for that tune, we, we discovered this recently. I was in the audience, and I heard... Uh, 
I heard this song being played and it was undeniably the same tune, same chord, same structure. Um, and, and I think it has earlier roots um, in, uh, in one of the either Central or Southern American um, countries or regions. I, I think it's a Latin, a Latin American tune more traditionally. Yeah, so I, I just pulled it out. The, the original tune is called El Choclo, um, and it's a Creole tango written in 1903, but the words in music to Kiss of Fire were written uh, in 1952 by Lester Allen and Robert Hill. So let's use that as an example. Is that the song that got discovered by somebody in the band and says, hey, let's do this, but let's make it ours kind of thing? Does somebody, is that how you guys come up with your music? It, well, in a sense, like we heard the Louis Armstrong version of that. And okay. Just so damn good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard to, to not be sort of drawn to it, you know? Like, there, yeah, the Louis Armstrong version of that tune is truly magical. And there were elements of that that, you know, we, don't, we didn't want to just replicate the Louis version. So we pulled in like an element of tango and we pulled in a couple of different sort of soloing elements to it. Sorry, I'll also add here that um, we grabbed an introduction from, a, from an original tune that our trumpet player wrote almost a decade ago. And we kind of fused that into the, our arrangement as well. So um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so there's, so there's also an element of like compositional uh like additional arrangement going on as well um which is pretty interesting because we're now we're like an old enough group of idiots that we're recycling ourselves right like <laughs> yeah old enough group anyone, of idiots i love that <laughs> if anyone wants to go down this sort of memento hole the the introduction to the song tomorrow off our first record ends up being the introduction to this too how cool I'll have to dig that one up because I think I've got like your first two, maybe your first two albums, maybe three. I don't know. But this is the Soggy Poe Boys from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We're going to listen to their first song called Kiss of Fire here on the Music of America podcast. Go flying, those devil lips that know so well the art of lying. And though I see the danger, still the flames grow higher. I know I must surrender to your kiss of fire. Just like the torch you set the soul within me burning. I must go on, I'm on this road of no returning. And though it burns me and it turns me into ashes. My whole world crashes without your kiss of fire I can't resist you What good is there in trying? What good is there denying? You're all that I desire Since first I kissed you My heart was just completely If I'm a slave Then it's a slave I want to be Don't pity me Don't pity me Let me borrow, love me tonight and let the devil take tomorrow I know that I must have your kiss on 
though it wounds me, though it consumes me, your kiss of fire. Soggy Poe Boys here in the Music American Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. River Ridge Farms, Vermont's recreation lover's dream, is a gorgeous vacation rental nestled in the Green Mountains of Vermont. River Ridge Farms is an escape to everything wonderful Vermont has to offer. It's a historic farmhouse set atop 16 acres of fields with mountainous views, a pasture, a pond, a tree-lined river frontage. Go and enjoy this beautiful spot right in the heart of the Green Mountain State, along with the multiple nearby ski mountain resorts and breweries and hiking trails and snowshoe trails and other tourist activities, this spot is unique to its multiple mountain views as well. And when you make your appointment to go out there, try and talk to the owner, Diana. Ask her about interacting with the farm animal. She's got chickens, roosters, pigs, cows, and a horse, and she just loves it when the guests interact with with her and the animals. Or just sit back and uh, just enjoy a nice, comfortable, modern farmhouse which sleeps 11 guests easily. It means it would fit the soggy pool boys in there, right? There's enough space to throw any kind of an event or just relax and rejuvenate the beautiful Vermont landscape. Check them out 
River Ridge Farms, Jeffersonville. You got to throw Jeffersonville in there. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to find them because there's a lot of River Ridge Farm Airbnbs all across the country and on Facebook and on Instagram. So just go River Ridge Farms, Jeffersonville, Vermont's recreation lover's dream. If I ever get you guys back up here or back up to Vermont, I should say, because I'm in Missouri right now. We'll have to work out a deal with Diana because she's got a, I think she's got a barn there. We can do, we've talked about doing like an outdoor show out there. We can run some power out there and she can sell her organically grown product that she has there. <laughs> nice. And uh, have a nice outdoor concert and a place that sleeps 11 comfortably. So you guys got a place to crash. How about that? I mean, that's us and at least four groupies. If so, right? Let's look. Well, uh, you'll, you'll have, you'll have, at least six of us there too. So yeah, you'll have 20 people easy. <laughs> Almost. Oh, yeah. Speaking of people that aren't here or that are the people that would be there. Let's talk about the bandmates that are not here. Let's give them a shout out. Uh, who's missing tonight. Who's not with us in this interview. Well, um, all right. So our, our current lineup, uh, we still are at seven. Um, so there's a handful not here. Um, my two right and left hand uh, frontline fellows are uh, on trombone Josh Gagnon and on tenor saxophone Nick Manila. Um, and I'm going to introduce them because across the front of the band, we are the front line, we are the horn section. And um, I will say playing with them is um, a really joyful time, you know. it's. I've known both of them for a very long time as people and as musicians, and uh, there's just something special about sitting up there and, and getting to the point where nobody's overthinking it, nobody's worrying about stepping on any toes. It's become a really wonderful communicative process, uh, and we all kind of co-create. We spend a lot, you know, it's a very intimate thing, so yeah. um, love those guys dearly, and uh I hope they'd say the same if they were sitting in my seat. They would not. I'm sure they would. Mike, is there, uh, I don't know what you would call it. In the old days, they had a band leader, you know, the Benny Goodman band, uh, Les Brown and the band Renowned. And he played a part of the band, but there was always, it was like a front man in a, in a rock band now. Is there a, a name for that who coordinates everything in the Soggy Po Boys? Or do you guys all work in a, like a collective? It's it's pretty distributed. I mean, Stu, for anybody who's seen a Stu uh, guitar player and singer, often ends up operating as like the front man in the way you're describing. I mean, so uh -huh. Stu's usually the point of contact with the audience, um, explaining what we're doing and why. Um, yeah, what's going on in that way. Um, but the you know, the other stuff of making the band operate and run, that that's kind of spread around the band. So okay. some of us book, some of us deal with social media, some of us deal with uh, finances, all that stuff. And I think I mentioned to you uh, earlier today, we had a chamber uh, chamber music group on, and they informed me that an orchestra has a conductor. But in chamber music, and they had a different name for it, but it's like a music director. So I thought, well, like in a classic rock band, you know, there's a front man. And Stu, the, the times I've seen, seen you, I would put Stu in that same capacity as the front man. But I didn't know if there was a name like in the chamber music, there's a name that's like the conductor that says we're doing this and kind of kind of keeps heard. So when you're doing your uh, improv stuff, somebody can reel you back in. So it, it's actually, honestly, within this band, 
it is extremely democratized. There uh-huh. is no, at least on like on the bandstand, there's no leader. We just have a very serious understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and execute. And so everyone is listening to each other at all times. There's no one person that holds the reins at any given time. Although there is some, you know, like on occasion, someone will give a cue, someone will say, okay, 16 bars more. And and that differs from song to song. Mm -hmm. It's very, very different. So there is no single leader. And I think that's one of the beauties of what we do is that it's, it's a hyper democracy for better or worse, uh, because we are always listening to each other and in, in that live setting, right? Like when we decide, okay, we're going to take one more course. We're going to do eight more bars. It doesn't matter who calls it. Everyone else clues into that and says, okay, I'm not like, this is, this is what we're doing now. You just kind of defer to the person who calls the next thing that's happening. Is there a, a body language you all learn amongst yourself? Like, like let's say Mike, you're playing, right? And you really got it going. You got the juice going and the audience is feeding back to you and you really want to keep going. And you want to go like eight more bars or 16 more bars. Is there something you do that says, I'm going to keep doing this one more round or whatever? Do you just have to vocalize it, literally vocalize it? And same with you, Eric, if you're playing on your, your clarinet or whatever, right? And you got a jam going and you don't want to stop right now. How do the other band members know? Do you just look or do you, is it an eye thing? Mike? Yeah, I would say it's probably pretty different for Mike um, than it would be for me, just given our position in the band. Uh-huh. Um, I think given that I'm in the front, I get to make a single hand gesture that the whole band can pretty visibly see at any moment. Um, Mike's in a tougher spot because he's behind us. So there are times where we posture our bodies to be able to see Mike, but a lot of times I think it's going to be just musical energy and and deciding when he's starting a phrase. I'll kind of kick it over to Mike and let him talk about how he would um, let us know. But um, definitely, I think he's using you know notes and rhythms and and musical gesture mm-hmm. to inform. That's how out of what I hear anyway. Cause, yeah, because staging is a big part. Everybody can see you. But Mike's back in the side or he's all, or back in the corner or he's, whatever. He's not on that same line where everybody else is. And Stu, you kind of walk around, right? So you can kind of, you get the feel of well, what's going on. I guess like something that I would say is that one of the things that I've gained from being in this band for so long is you realize how much of your language is unspoken And I think a lot of us have sort of gained that understanding of what the unspoken languages, the musical languages, because very often when we're on the bandstand, we'll be in the middle of a tune and someone will do something and everyone else knows what that person needs to happen, but it's never said out loud. And I think a part of that comes from us just having been together for so long and also like a big part of this music broadly is communicating ideas not through spoken language but through musical language and so we like the biggest part of what we do is having our ears wide open all the time 
because it is clear when, like, for example, when we play the song Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho, if Eric's going for another chorus, it is so clear that he's going for another chorus that no one will dare step into that spot without like a real, real important understanding of like, we need to wrap this up now. That'll never happen ever. Uh-huh. We just have gotten an understanding of what each other is trying to communicate mm-hmm. that we're so into listening for that. Mike, what's your, uh, your two cents on it? Yeah. Nothing much to add that, that covers all the bases. I mean, it's, it's a musical it's yeah, it's an RLQ. Uh, Zach Lang, who was a former trumpet player who got too good at this and had to move to New Orleans as a result and now just works constantly down there and loves it, um, has a very uh, externalizing personality. And, you know, when it comes time to the end of the chorus, everybody knows that everybody's wondering if we are going to uh, go on or not, right? Like, so everybody's wondering if we're going to stay in the part of the tune that we are or go to a different part. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zach, as the trumpet player, and Zach, as the scale of personality that he is, would make it so you had no questions about it. You know, like at the end of the chorus, if he hits a high note and holds it, you're like, well, obviously he's not done. Yeah, there's there's just a way of getting that across. Yeah. And it's different from instrument to instrument, but the game is the same. You're you're musically saying something that is like, I'm done, or that was garbage, or here we go, let's try that again. Like you're you're talking that out just with notes. It's really cool when you explain that like that, because I'm listening to it in my head and I'm I'm imagining a band that's performing a song like one of your songs. And somebody's holding a long trumpet note into the next phrase. So that's how you know that we're going one more round like that. You know? Yeah, it's certainly how you know that that's what he's thinking. And then yeah. the band has the choice to say, hey, you're an idiot. Or yes, you're right. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> typically, typically, you're an idiot when it happens in rehearsal, but you're a genius when it happens in a live performance, right? <laughs> yeah, let's say that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. So, hotter than that. Tell me about that one. Who wants to go on this one? Hotter than that. I'll talk a little bit. I think you had mentioned um, that it was maybe one of your favorites, Tom, yeah. and, and I do think it's probably one of my favorite recordings of ours. Oh no, kidding! Cool. Yeah, I just uh, I remember when I think Zach brought that tune in. Might have even been for one of our. Uh, we do a series of shows, as you can tell. We're passionate about the history. Um, so we do a series of shows that actually focus in on different um, key figures or elements of the New Orleans tradition. We call it honoring a tradition. And so, of course, we had to have done one uh, on Louis Armstrong. And so I think this tune came up then. Uh, and just really um, growing up a saxophone player predominantly, and I still play saxophone quite a bit, but um, getting to play clarinet on that tune with somebody uh, playing trumpet like Zach was at the time, like he's really nailing the style. Uh, getting to play clarinet uh, was like a really wonderful experience, and so listening back to it, the fact that it came out uh, like it did was was a real treasure for me. Um, and I love listening back to it, and I love hearing my friend Zach play on it. He sounds great. The whole band sounds great. But um, yeah, it was just it's a real highlight. Anyway, the tune. Uh, always attributed to Louis Armstrong because of course he he played it uh, beautifully and, and like kind of has a way with the trumpet that changed the game for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But it was written by Lil Harden Armstrong, which was his second wife. Um, and oh, I didn't know wrote, that. She wrote a whole lot of music uh, that Louis made famous. 
and and uh, I think she's a pretty underrepresented name in the music. Um, so you got to throw some some light on that because it's a it's a really cool tune, and Lewis really plays the hell out of it. Um, but yeah, it's a super super fun high energy tune, and I think our band sounds great. And it just now that Zach is not uh, sitting to my side. Uh, it's really personally a, a blast to listen back and, and hear him and and then I you know that's always when I book my next uh, plane ticket down to New Orleans go visit. <laughs> How often have you all been down there? Have you been there as a group? First of all, only once as a group, but yeah? individually all of us end up down there moderately often. Stu probably more than any of us actually. Eric was down there most recently, I think. Uh-huh. I haven't been there in a couple of years. Love it, just love it. I'm trying to make it a habit to be there every three months now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What I, I really got a kick out of, uh, I was on Decatur and I thought I'd walk over toward Bourbon and I end up on, uh, oh, I can't think of the street. It's one street over from Bourbon and it's like an arts district or whatever. It's a bunch of antique shops and stuff up and down that road. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Royal. Royal, yeah. And uh, I turned the corner. Now, I'm from St. Louis originally and I'm a big hockey fan, as you can tell by the hot, the hat. And I'm watching these guys, and they're playing some music, and then they played W.C. Handy's St. Louis Blues. It was just so bizarre how that happened. I just happened to be on that street. I was going down Bourbon, or down to Cater, and I was going to head over to Bourbon, and it said, I'm going to go down Royal instead. And I go down there, and here's this band, and the next song they play in its entirety is the the entire uh, St. Louis Blues W.C. Handy. Not just the da-da-da-da, you know, but the whole thing with vocals and everything. With the tango and everything. Well, <laughs> no tango. But, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess there was. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I went down the street, and it was an all women's band doing the same thing. Somebody's playing a washboard. Washboard. Somebody else was playing something else. Spoons. Somebody was playing spoons, and then there was you know a couple of guitars and so on and so forth. And it was an all women's band called No Men Allowed. A L O U D. And it was like one of the coolest experiences just to to have that. And and it, I, don't, I just don't find that anywhere else in the country to find that flavor of music that's so unique to that part of the country. And it's just always there. And it's just right out there, literally out there. That's why I, I, I thought you guys would probably go collectively, at least like a, like a sojourn to Mecca or something. Yeah, it's a pilgrimage. Yeah. <laughs> a pilgrimage. Right. Yeah. Sort of like Eric, I try to go there every three months or so. Um, I'll be there again next month. Um, I was there recently in November. Um, yeah, I usually try to go a couple times a year just to recharge the mojo, I guess. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Well, let's get back to this. Uh, we were talking about Hotter Than That, and then I went down my rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm bringing it back. So uh, Louis Armstrong song, you guys do that. Like I said, it's one of my favorites that you guys have done. And I can't wait to share this with the audience. So this is the Soggy Po' Boys, and this is their version of Hotter Than That here on the Music of America podcast.
Better than that with the Soggy Po Boys here on the Music America podcast from Portsmouth. And we'll get back with the gentlemen from the Po Boys that are with us here today. But since they're here and since Mike was talking earlier about the B3 organ, I thought I would talk about another B3, and that's the B3 Blues Festival. Growing up in St. Louis, the blues has been a strong influence in my life. It always has been. In fact, one of the logos we use here on the Music of America podcast features a band called the Alabama Serenaders. If you look and see this old sepia-colored photo, you'll see this band. And right there, it's like back in the 30s. And there's a guy in the middle of the band on his knees with his clarinet pointed up to the sky. That's my grandfather. And uh, he's been with me in that picture as long as I can remember. Although I, I only got to see him till I was like two years old. So I don't have a living experience, but that just shows how deep the blues goes with me and with St. Louis. Well, the St. Louis blues B3 festival showcases that deep rooted blues heritage, that deep blues rooted heritage, the B3 blues festival in St. Louis. It's an outdoor concert festival held in historic Soulard market, great blues acts, music industry workshops, they have partnerships with vendors in the Soulard community. They have some quirky art music craft vendors on hand, family activities, face painting, and more. It's the B3 Blues Festival coming up soon in 2024. Find out more about them at SoulardB3Fest.com. And I would love to have you guys meet Dave Beardsley, who's one of the board members of this thing, and have you guys come stay with us in St. Louis and attend the B3 Blues Fest. It would be so cool to get you guys down there. Yeah. I love that too. There's just such a close correlation between your music and ragtime. And that's what I think of the St. Louis influence on blues is ragtime, you know, Scott Joplin and WC Handy. And I, I think with your respect for all types of music and its roots and its heritage, you guys are a natural. You should just be there. Are you all in Portsmouth? Are you around Portsmouth? Like, how do you get together for practice, rehearsal? and For what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're scattered around. Portsmouth is kind of our center. Really, like Dover, New Hampshire is our center. Um, we go as far northeast as Portland, Maine, as far south as Cambridge, Mass. Wow. Um, but we're all, you know, within orbit of the seacoast of New Hampshire, that little stretch of ocean there. How far would that range then if you're up in... You say it's kind Portland? of an hour on either side. Yeah, okay. Not that bad. I mean, I always think of it far until I get back to Vermont and we drive to Maine through New Hampshire. And it's only three hours from South Burlington to Kittery. You know, it's about yeah. it's about a yeah. three and a half hour drive. And it's beautiful too, because you go through uh uh the Kangamangus, Kangamangus Pass. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Although this this year we went uh went to Bar Harbor north, went north of the mountains. It was a funny story I've mentioned a couple of times here as we're either leaving New Hampshire and entering Maine. I'm not sure which side of the border it was on, but there were a bunch of guys that were coming over whatever that road is just north of the mountains. And they had a sign held up. They're all hanging out underneath the tent. And it says, you honk, we drink. <laughs> which I thought was really funny. And when I, when I tell that story to people in Maine, they said, well, you must have been on the Maine side. And when I tell that people to New Hampshire people, they say, oh, you must have been on the New Hampshire side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> still pretty funny it's a, a one of those lasting memories so uh mike i think you chortled a little bit when i said practice so one guest one told one guest told me once that we practice at home but when we get together it's rehearsal 
Oh, interesting. No, I didn't. I didn't mean to make that distinction. It's just getting together for rehearsal is really challenging. Although, ironically, that is the very next thing we're doing after this interview is rehearsing. Oh, no kidding. But, but no, we have a weekly. We have a standing weekly residency at a place called the Press Room in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and that operates as something like an open rehearsal slash sit-in jam occasionally too. Oh, cool. So it's it's not so much like a formal show. It's more like there's a band at a bar. We're trying new things. Uh, yeah, it's a lower. Um, how do you say that? It's a mellower environment. It's a great time. So that operates as something like a rehearsal. That's where we try out new things okay. for the first time. Usually is a spot like that. So if Stu, Stu hears a song and he's like, why don't we do that? Then he could bring it up. I guess, how would that work? So would you email everybody yeah, that, a copy of that song and then everybody would I just... Mean, like, that's kind of exactly how it works, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah, we'll bring a copy of the song for everyone. Uh -huh. And we'll say, hey, this is what we're trying to do with this. Let's see what happens. And yeah. they'll just kind of fly blind on it. Does everybody have their own voice? It seems like if they do, like everybody has their own voice, like like Eric might say, well, I kind of want to do this on this song here. What do you guys think? Does it work like that or, or do you just do yeah. it? It's actually, honestly, like it's rarely like that. Everyone sort of knows their role sort of intuitively. Okay. And whoever brings the tune in sort of gives some instruction on how it should go. And then we kind of trudge our way through it uh -huh. and, you know, not at the gig sometimes. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it after here. These are things that, that didn't work. Here's mm -hmm. things that did work. Here's what we'd want to change, that sort of thing. I don't think I've ever seen any of you with an iPad or your phone out or sheet music yeah so I, I do think part of our process is just being communicative off the bandstand so when a new tune is going to be introduced a lot of times there's a reference recording or two um, something that the individual maybe uh, wants to borrow from in a specific arrangement and it's kind of everybody's job to be prepared uh, to, to do it and it might not be um, it might not be a super polished thing, but we have these Tuesday nights where we can like, you know, we can kind of ask everybody with a handshake agreement or a nod, like, hey, you feel all right making your way through it. Um, and that's kind of how we will road test certain things. And if there's like, uh, you know, if everyone feels pretty good about it, we move forward. And occasionally we run into something like, hey, actually I went, you know, I went down the rabbit hole. I listened to 19 versions of that tune across <laughs> the past two weeks, and I, and I found actually this thing that I'd love. Or somebody has an original idea about, like, actually, you know, let's just try something a little more drastic uh, and and make it our own. Um, so there's there's a, a bunch that goes on to when we get these tunes coming in. But uh, I will say that yeah, a lot of times it's just you know in a in a quick email or thread somewhere. It's hey. Um, check out this recording. Here's what I want to do. Here's the key we're going to do it in. And then we all kind of do our homework. Now the, the last song we're going to play here, I think you referenced earlier, Stu, didn't you? So simple. Didn't you mention that earlier? Yeah. So this was a song that was written, the, the, the music was written by Eric. Uh, and, you know, he sent it over to me and I heard the melody and these lyrics sort of, came to me the idea that as we make our way through relationships it's not always the easiest thing in the world 
And a lot of things that are really worthwhile take a little bit of effort and grinding. And so that's sort of the place that I was in when I was writing the lyrics to this tune. It was the idea that, well, if it all was so simple, would it still be worth it now? And that's that's where those lyrics come from. It's such a great hook, too. I mean, I love that. Uh, there was a a book I, I often refer to called uh, Up to Your Ass and Aphorisms, okay? And one of the lines in there... <laughs> <laughs> One of the lines in there was that uh, in life, it's so easy to find out what's so. What's not so easy is finding the so what. I thought that's that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay. Well, let's give it a listen. The Soggy Po Boys, our guests here on the Music of America podcast, and their last song called So Simple. If it all was so simple, would it still be worth it now? If it all was so simple, would it still be worth it now? Would it still be worth it now? Would it still be worth it now?
laugh aloud But if it all was so simple Would it still be worth it now? So simple, and it is so simple. The Soggy Pool Boys here on the Music of America podcast. Gentlemen, thank you. It's been a blast. It's been uh, more than what I anticipated, and I want to thank you for that. And I know we're cutting into rehearsal time, so let's wrap this up with our last segment, Shameless Self-Promotion. And Eric, you've got the farthest drive, so we'll start with you. Uh, anything you want to talk about? Upcoming album? Anything about you personally that you want to promote? Let's hear about it. Well, thanks a lot, Tom, for having us. This has been great. Um yeah, I mean, I've been lucky to have a pretty uh, well-rounded uh, go at a life in music here. So um, I'm an educator. Uh, I play a lot of different kinds of music. Um, I'm an arts administrator at a music venue in Kittery, Maine called The Dance Hall. Um, and so you could kind of learn a lot more about me by just going to www.ericclaxton.com. And uh, that probably, you know, paints a, a better picture than anything I could say. Um, as far as the band goes, which uh, certainly is something I'm very proud of, uh, we got a new record coming out, should be out by summer of 2024. Um, so, you know, be following the Soggy Po Boys and keep your ears and eyes open for that one. Amen. And thanks, thanks again for having us. Thanks, Eric. Mike, you want to ride those coattails a little bit, talk a little bit about Soggy Po Boys, where we can see you, find you, support you, and all that stuff? Yeah, for sure. So we try to keep what we're up to up on SoggyPoeBoys.com as far as live performances and all that. Um, you can find all the relevant news and links to the new record there. Uh, like Eric said, it'll be late spring, early summer of this coming year. No, the year that we're now in, of this year, 2024. Yeah, right. Um, so it's, it's, it's Boys too, and it's P-O, not an apostrophe. Because if you try yeah. and search it with an apostrophe, it's going to blow up your computer. Correct. <laughs> uh, although inconveniently, if you're looking for us on Spotify, you're going to want that apostrophe. Yeah. S oh, no S kidding. G-G-Y-P-O-B-O-Y-S.com is the website. Cool. And on Spotify, yeah. you have to have the, the apostrophe. It's good to know. Uh, that's where the other stuff is, and we just stayed that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Stu? So, yeah, keep an eye out. Stu, merch? Yeah. Um, Old Boys have uh, a new record coming out called Leave the Light On. Uh, we'll be tracking it this weekend. Um, we do have merch for sale. We have T-shirts. We have CDs. We have vinyl. And uh, if anyone is interested in following us or booking us or you know bringing us to your place, find us at SagiPoeBoys.com. We're on all socials. You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, um, all of those fun things. We as a band tend to like focusing on a couple of different things together but something that we're all really really clued in on is on the tradition and i guess i'll end <coughs> with one little piece that has always spoken to me it's a quote by Mahler, which said tradition is not the veneration of ashes but the preservation of fire and that's something that we take very seriously that's why we immerse ourselves in the history of the music. That's why when we do a show about the music of Louis Armstrong and Jelly Roll Morton, we spend the time trying to understand the situations that they came from so that we can honestly and truly portray where this music comes from. Because 
I think it's safe to say that without those guys, without Louis, without Jelly Roll, without Sydney, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. So we want to just pay homage to the tradition and really be able to put in our time and respect it and pay our dues. And I think it's that dedication and that soulful sentiment that I got from all you guys today that puts you in a whole different class of musician that I've encountered. And it's really, it's a blessing. And uh, from my soul and from my heart, thank you for your approach to music and your delivery of music. It's awesome. It's just awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks for having us on. Hey, guys. Uh, We'll be seeing you sometime this summer, whether I'm in New Hampshire, Maine, or you guys are in Burlington, or I don't know, maybe we'll just cross paths in Myrtle Beach or something. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Gentlemen, thanks again. That was the Soggy Po Boys from Portsmouth, our guests here on the Music of America podcast. We wrap up our visit to New Hampshire tomorrow with Mike Birch. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.